Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Trust me. Jeez. What's up, guys? How was your all-star break? Oh, it was fantastic. I did absolutely nothing. It's well, exactly so what I did. So did the all-stars. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> no defense, that's for sure. <laughs> I think I scored more points at Dave and Buster's than they did in the all-star game. But wow. impressive. That's, that's neither lot. here nor there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, the second half of the season, even though we're past the halfway point, the start of uh, you know things after the all-star break begins tonight, Chris. And we've been talking about this. Two of the toughest games to judge are the game before the All-Star mm-hmm. break and the game after the All-Star break. Yeah. What's your sense from either what you saw at practice, players you've talked to, about how this team will come out tonight? Yeah, J.P. Bickerstaff even said it just moments ago, guys, that um, there's going to be a ramp-up process involved. Uh, these guys took a much-needed break. Uh, they came back. They practiced yesterday. He feels like it was an intense, spirited practice. Donovan Mitchell was not on the court with them because he got an extra day. Um, not sure yet if he's going to play tonight. I have my doubts about that, actually. Right. Um, but but I think it's going to be a ramp-up process to get yourself back in that physical space, that mental space that you're in. Um, but once you start playing the games, the competition picks up, I think that's going to help you get back in that mode Chris this team take on a different approach this first half of the season Mm -hmm. to where almost every game seemed to matter to them you know I don't know if every single game mattered and I don't think they're necessarily chasing wins guys but but I think they wanted to um, focus on certain things throughout the first half of the season the details um, the, the style that they wanted to play and and I just think there's a standard that they set that if that was going to contribute to wins, that would have been great. Um, but even if they would have played to that standard and lost, they would have been okay with that. Because for them, guys, it's more about the big picture. It's more about the long term. And there's no way to like say, okay, we're going to peak going into the playoffs, and we're going to do this, this, and this to make sure that we peak going into the playoffs. But if you're a team that is on the constant hunt for improvement, and you feel like you're implementing things behind the scenes... Um, that you focus on on a day-to-day basis, that can translate, you would hope, to good basketball. And I think that's really been the focus of of what they've been trying to do, um, at least in the first half of the season. Where is improvement still needed? I think there are a couple of things. Um, I I think one is integrating Darius Garland. Darius is still very, very important to the Cavs' success, both in the short term and the long term. Um, obviously, before the All-Star break, he was playing on a minute restriction. He wasn't closing games because of that. He was playing in these like five, six-minute bursts, and it was hard for him to get his timing and his rhythm and all that kind of stuff. But finding a way to blend him into what the Cavs found during the six weeks without him, I think that's really, really important in terms of their next step in, in evolution. And I also think it's um, making sure that Jarrett and Evan can function together properly it's really really easy right now for jb and the Cavs to just stagger those guys 
I'm going to split them up because Evan Mobley technically is the starting power forward and the backup center. Right. But Tristan Thompson's going to be back in mid-March. Don't know how much he's going to play in the rotation. But they still have to find ways to make it so that Jarrett and Evan can thrive together. Um, because there are going to be long stretches in a seven-game series where they're going to be on the court together. Chris Fiedler is our guest right now on the Kenny and JT Show. Chris, at the beginning of the season, the Cavaliers were floating around 500 or whatever it was. J.B. Bickerstaff had come out and said that it was going to be a different style offense. Yeah. We didn't really see it until the injuries went down. How much did that play into this up-and-down offense that we're seeing right now, in your opinion? Well, I think that was a big part of it, sure. I think what you saw at the beginning of the year is that you had the holdovers from last year that were used to a certain way, used to a certain system, used to a certain personnel grouping. And then when you were trying to integrate Max Struess into the starting lineup, he's a different style player. Like They didn't have a guy like him who was so focused on off-ball cutting and movement and offensive triggers and stuff like that. So they were trying to figure out how to blend him in, George Niang as well, Karis LeVert as a full-time six-man. So you had, while trying to incorporate a new system at both ends of the floor in some cases, you were also trying to incorporate new players. And I think that led to some growing pains early on. And when Darius went out and Evan went out, obviously... um, the offense changed because the personnel changed. You were using more four-shooter lineups. You were using more lineups that were predicated on ball movement and shooting and cutting as opposed to high pick-and-roll stuff with Darius and Evan Mobley. Um, So that was part of it, but I also think there was going to be a natural organic progression for this team where they just got more comfortable with what they were trying to do and with who else was on the court with them, and it just happened at the same time the rotation for mm. for coach at what point in the season chris does he shorten it or does he feel comfortable with nine or ten into the playoffs based on what he got from those bench players while mobley and garland mm. and even donovan mitchell were out for nine games yeah it's going to be nine or ten <laughs> i mean this coach is just comfortable playing a nine ten man rotation okay but, but I think the benefit of that whole stretch, guys, is that, okay, if you run into a situation where you need what Sam Merrill brings to the table, you have the confidence and the trust that you can go to him and feel like he's going to deliver that because of what you saw from him in those six weeks. Whereas if he just would have been collecting DNPs and you never got that sense of Sam Merrill can do this, Sam Merrill can yeah. do this, Sam Merrill can't do this you would be like flying blind essentially in terms of going to him in big time situations and maybe you wouldn't be willing to go to him in certain situations so i do think the reality is the top five are set the top eight in this rotation are set it's the nine ten spots in the rotation that are going to be predicated on game flow situation matchup what you need at that given time Um, And I just think that that's baked into the role of Dean Wade and Sam Merrill and Craig Porter Jr. Like, not everybody can be Donovan Mitchell and play 35 to 37 minutes and have a high usage rate, right? Everybody just has to play to their particular role. And part of what it is for Sam Merrill is 
I may not play some nights. Do you think, what's the best way to put this? Do you think the players have accepted and bought into that, knowing that, hey, it's great when I get to play more minutes, but I may only get seven minutes, but I need those seven minutes to impact the game as if I played 35 minutes. Will those players buy into it as opposed to, man, why am I not playing? I think they will, um, in part because um, they understand that some matchups are not going to be conducive to them being successful. Okay. For example, Sam Merrill. And, like, I don't want to pigeonhole him or anything along those lines, but he obviously has flaws and limitations. There's right. a reason why... You know, he's the 10th guy in a rotation, 11th guy in a rotation, whatever you want to call him, um, as opposed to a starting caliber shooting guard. He has limitations and he has flaws. Um, and and J.B. Vickersaf has said that he is not as comfortable going to Sam against teams that are long, athletic, and quick on the perimeter because they can take away the things that, that make Sam so successful. And, and I think Sam understands that too. I think there's an understanding of, how can I best help this team? And no matter when my number is called, that's my responsibility. And I talked to Dean Wade about this very thing earlier today. That's actually. your guy, and that's I'm starting guy. to come around now. Look, man, I'm coming around, I've been, maybe. I've been pumping up Dean Wade I know since you have. the beginning of the season. By the way, in terms of defensive LeBron, which is a, oh, a nerdy stat that some of these front <laughs> offices use around the NBA. There is one power forward that is more impactful on the defensive end of the floor than Dean Wade this year. Care to guess who that is? Is it LeBron James? No. Oh. Victor Wembanyama. Oh, That's okay. the kind of I, defense all right. that my guy Dean Wade has been playing this year. I didn't realize he's strictly a power forward. I look at it yeah, as a center. Yeah, but that, I mean, okay, he bounces whatever. around. All he's right. even higher on that list than Evan Mobley, okay. his wow. teammate. Wow. And I showed that to Dean today, and he was like, I recognize that Frohawk. Yeah. Um, so, like... It, it's just these guys understand that that's part of their role, okay. and they've accepted that. Um, and it's just about making the most of the opportunity when it comes. Happy to have Chris Fedor with us. Read him on a regular basis, Cleveland.com, Plain Dealer. Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Fedor. So, Chris, we're at 36-17 uh, and 17, uh, through uh, 53 games, 29 left. What's the win total that gets them the, the two or three seed and wins the division that they lead by two and a half right now? So the benefit for the Cavs is that some of the teams that you thought were going to be right there in that two, three mix, they're vulnerable. And they're more vulnerable than what they were coming into this year. You know, the conversation at the beginning of the year was one, two, and three in some order. Write it in pen. Right. It's Boston, mm-hmm. Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, however you want to rank them. Um, Philly's still without Joel Embiid. They're a completely different team without him, obviously. He's arguably the best player in the game. And Milwaukee's got a bunch of stuff to figure out, including Doc Rivers, and whether you know he's going to be the coach that helps them take that step that they felt like they weren't taking with Adrian Griffin. So that's like a long way of saying that they don't have to focus on chasing wins just to keep the two seed. Obviously, they've got to play good basketball. They've got to beat the teams that they should beat, which they've done all season right. long. And they got to see if maybe they can be more competitive against some of these above 500 teams. But there's enough of a little bit of a buffer here because of the situation with Milwaukee and Philadelphia and even New York dealing with a whole bunch of injuries that it probably is only going to take, you know, 
53 to 55, somewhere in that range, to get the two seed this year. Is that doable looking at this schedule? Schedule is grueling. It is. Somebody who's going to have to live it for the yeah, next Yeah, you two are. Months. Yeah, God bless you. I mean, my goodness. Um, you know, I think it is doable in part because, well, you don't know if they're going to stay full strength moving forward. But it's more doable when they're at full strength combined with the depth that they have found. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to run Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, your most important players into the ground as much because you feel better about what you have um, in the reserve unit. They were 28th in bench scoring last year, guys. 28th. They're 13th this year. Wow. It's a clear difference. Yeah. Right? George Niang, there are some questions about him, obviously, in certain defensive matchups, but he has provided veteran stability in the second unit. Karis LeVert is in the conversation for sixth man of the year. So you just have, I think, more guys that you can go to and trust to potentially help you win some of these games that would theoretically be difficult to win based on what the schedule um, presents. Chris, uh, one more question. We'll let you go here. Cavaliers and Magic tonight, 7 o'clock right here on WHBC. Who's the best team in the NBA? And how close Boston. are the Cavaliers? Okay, how yeah. close are the Cavaliers to Boston? And do they match up well with Boston or not? Well, I think Boston's just on a different tier when it comes to the Eastern Conference. If you want to lump these teams into tiers, it's Boston title contender, big gap. Then I think it's Cavs, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, if Embiid comes back and he can show that he can be healthy and effective, um, and New York probably in that tier as well. The thing that I'll say about Boston, they are great. Like Everything points to them being the best team in the NBA. When they get into the postseason, they have this habit of just, like, moments of malaise. Yeah. And, and it doesn't make a whole ton of sense um, because you would think that they've been through it enough and it's bit them enough right. that they're not going to have that. Um, but, but that makes them, like, every one of those teams that I mentioned, including the Cavs, has, like, one thing that you can point to and say, that could be your fatal flaw. You know, Milwaukee defense. Philadelphia Embiid's health. Cavs, will they score the way that they have in this regular season when it comes to the playoffs? And then you go down, Indiana can't defend anybody. And when it comes to Boston, it's just like they can be perplexing at times <laughs> right. where they become their own worst enemy. In saying that, I think they belong on a different tier, and, and I don't think the Cavs match up all that well with them because they have so much size on the perimeter. With Porzingis now? They have Porzingis yeah. now who can play it out to the perimeter. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Derek White plays bigger than he is. Like, the combination of size, switchability, athleticism, the Cavs still come up a little bit short in the wing department, I think. Yeah, and now that they've moved Horford, ran out to a, a lesser role, yeah, right. got rid of Marcus Smart and brought right. in Drew Holiday yeah. for defense as well as offense. Yeah. Uh, so is it a Boston-Denver matchup, or who in the West do you like uh, as we let you go after this? I think the Clippers are sneaky good if, if they can stay healthy. Um, that's a big question given the history of Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Paul George. But, you know, Ty Lue, the coach, been there, done that, yeah. understands how to win in the playoffs, understands how to attack weaknesses in the playoffs. Kawhi is playing at an MVP level. Um, so I do think the Clippers are going to have some kind of say in the Western Conference, along with Denver, 
Um, I don't believe so much in Oklahoma City, Minnesota. I think there are steps right. that those young teams have to take first. And then I wouldn't discount Phoenix. They obviously have some questions, but like that is a whole crap load of firepower. It is. I in a seven-game at- series, you got to beat them four times. Right. Yeah. Beginning of the season, I had Phoenix against Denver in yeah. the you know Western Conference Championship yeah. because of adding Beal and what what else they've done. Yeah. So. Um, it, it should be a fun second half of the season uh, for us sitting at home, not having to travel, maybe more fun than, than you. So good luck with all the travels and the back-to-backs and all of that. I appreciate that. And we look forward to chatting with you again uh, down the road whenever you're, you're awake or have time. All you're right? you're going to see me in April, and I'm going to age like Obama from his, <laughs> his first term to his last when he was in office. It's going to be that quick for me. Chris Fedor, Cavs beat reporter. Follow him on a daily basis uh, at Chris Fedor on Twitter as well as Read them in the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Break time for us here on the Kenny and JT Show. When we come back, we'll hear from Cavs head coach J.B. Bickerstaff.